0: Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of the Third Deck Lounge podcast. Today we have uh Continental Marine uh here today talking with us. This is going to be a real cool conversation. Uh welcome to the show, man.
1: What's up, man? Thanks for having me. I'm uh glad to be here. I always preferred the second deck lounge over the third, but you know, the third works.
0: I don't know, man. I was always up in third. <laughs> Dude, I love your page though, man. This is uh this is fucking cool. This is shit that like I always fucking um wanted to like learn myself and that I think dude should really like want to learn because it's important to know like all these things about other countries, militaries, whether they're, um, friendly or fucking, um, hostile to to the United States, like all the shit you're doing about, uh, China and Russia, dude, all that shit is awesome. I love it.
1: Yeah. Thanks. That's, uh, what's kind of the point, you know, is, uh, like we say in Mount, you know, find a job, I had uh, always wondered about this stuff, you know, while I was while I was in the Marine Corps, um, and and always wondered, you know, why it wasn't really touched or taught, and and really what I do is what I thought that like, you know, the intel shop was was supposed to do, you know, kick out stuff like that, but nobody was doing it. I couldn't find it anywhere. There's a lot of stuff on other nations um, out there, but it's all like super like. Just like nerdy, really like academic-y people are trying to like suck themselves off with their vocab and stuff, and nobody was really taking the stuff about foreign militaries and and uh, putting it down to like the end user level. So that's that's kind of the point.
0: Yeah, man. So when did you really decide to like like yeah, I'm gonna start this as a page? Like when did you when did you decide that?
1: So uh, my uh, my cousin runs a a pretty notable Instagram page uh anyone that's that's active on Instagram is probably heard of the cognitive raider um so talking to him about his page uh and just just stuff I was like hey you should do something like this you should do something like this uh but he's a little bit of, of sort of a, a a more nerdy dude himself so yeah he, uh, he has all those sort of officer centric things and I was like you know what I'll I'll do it uh if anybody can do it I'll I'll just jump on there and and start kicking stuff out
0: that's fucking awesome, dude. And, and what did you really like like where do you go to find this stuff? Cuz I I know like obviously there's tons of information out there, but it all kind of it, it's hard to find like kind of the reality of that shit.
1: Yeah, so it really really obviously the the easy answer is, is the internet. Uh the the longer answer is that it kind of depends on the specific thing. Um and then a fair amount of it is I don't like to use the word analysis, but a, f- a fair amount of it is sort of educated guesses, which is what some people would call analysis uh, on my part. And that's you know taking sometimes there'll be photos of things out there, like photos of of units or, or photos of of people out on exercise or something like that. And to if if you're a true professional, you know, like if you're a in O three uh, with with sort of any level of, of professionalism or, or proficiency. You can look at a photo of a foreign military on you know patrolling exercise and immediately you can start to see their formations. you can start to look at uh, their loadouts and then from there you can sort of start to extrapolate or uh, or figure out you know what they're sort of equipped for it and what their tactics are uh, to some extent just based on what our stuff is. So that's kind of you know one of the things that I think maybe makes it a little more unique because Anyone can sort of find pictures online and and look at those hard stats, but when you start to take that tie in of of understanding, you know, just core infantry tactics, because you know those those really don't change. Uh, you can start to to work out you know how they do things. So like with the Chinese specifically, you can sort of look at their loadouts and, and see that they're a little bit more DMR heavy uh, and and rocket heavy compared to some other forces. So naturally you're going to assume, okay, that's, that's sort of more probably where they're angling for their base of fire because they're pretty machine gun, uh, light compared to a lot of other forces and, and things like that. And and those are things that, you know, if you're a pro, you should be able to see, but uh, it always helps when someone points it out when you're learning.
0: Yeah, man. And all that stuff's important too, because, uh, you look at like European countries and you see their uniforms or their weapon systems. And you like show that to like a random dude and you ask him like, hey, what country would this be? Like majority of the time they wouldn't even fucking know that it's like the Swiss or the fucking the Swedish or whatever it may be. And that can be a real fucking problem if uh, if in whatever AO you're in and it's like fucking, you know, shit's real. And then all of a sudden you guys are fucking shooting at each other and you don't even fucking realize that you're on the same fucking team
1: yeah no, that's that's a big one, and that's another one i I like to hit on a lot uh, because we are super big uh, as a whole, especially the the weapons dudes. They're super big on like armor and vehicle ID. And that's awesome. you know that's great. But for some reason, we don't translate that over to the personnel side. And for every you know one vehicle that that's out there, you know if if you're it's a cat humvee, you know okay, there's one humvee to identify. There's also four or five dudes, you know in in that truck that can be milling about and stuff. and and that might be the the thing that you spot first. So especially like you pointed out in in a European area, uh, where you know there's all sorts of nations. Everyone has different, you know uniforms. A lot of people have different weapons uh, and things like that intermix in with, you know in in Europe, the really the only realistic hypothetical opponent would be Russia. Uh, but even then, they they vary a little bit. There's a lot of nations that, that can look a lot like the Russians. And, and you know, I, I didn't go to Norway. I, I know you probably you would have gone. Um, and then, you know, guys, sort of your generation with 36. You know anything you're doing in, in Europe on the Marine Corps side is a joint effort with the Norwegians, with the British, with, um, you know, several other potential host nations in addition to the U.S. Army and, and all the other branches of, of the U.S., armed forces in conjunction with the Marine Corps. So there's just all sorts of, you know, if you get thrown into, into that AO, cause a war pops off, uh, there's a lot of different stuff to, to identify.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's crazy too, like being able to just know all this stuff. And when say you like, you do come into contact with the enemy and fucking you see the weapon systems and stuff that are, uh, that you're facing it almost changes your fucking i imagine it would change your strategy um like completely and it's that's why i think it's like super super important because you see fucking the way you'd go about it if it was just a fucking fire team compared to like okay a fucking squad with a technical or something
1: yeah for sure And and that's something that i you know it it's unfortunate that it's not more standardized across the uh force uh but that is something that is a really big key and that that's that sort of natural stepping stone that a lot of uh, a lot of junior infantry leaders uh, in the marine corps as a whole misses we we do a really good job at like the very basics of the basics so just constantly practicing patrolling constantly practicing you know entries and different clearing things constantly practicing formations uh constantly practicing you know h e races and and moving from a cold pause to a hot pause for rockets and and grenades and everything else. But the next level of that, that that's still the basics uh, is learning how to to sort of apply that against your opponent. And that's that's one of the things. Uh, one of my favorite posts that I've done is I just shared a picture of a uh, a, a combat loadout um, platoon of of PLA soldiers and just pointed out sort of their weapon systems. And when you know all of your weapon systems in the Marine Corps, so let's say the the 2738, the 240, um, we'll leave out rockets, but let's say the M 32 and then the 320. Um, And then you look at this picture of, and that's what you're bringing to the fight. you look at this picture of the Chinese and you see their rifles that have more or less the same uh, max area and max point ease as our rifles. Um, See machine guns that have sort of the same, Uh, max area max pointies as our machine guns uh but then you start to see that they don't have those low velocity grenade launchers like the 320 or the 32 things that you can use to create that true direct fire indirect fire combined arms dilemma um when you look at that and say okay this is something i bring to the fight and i look at the chinese force there and they don't have that then all of a sudden in my head i can go okay we're going to be pretty evenly matched from 800 to 400 meters because we have the same weapon systems that are going to be able to engage at around the same effectiveness. And then once we get inside sort of 50, uh, and in meters that around that hand grenade range, okay, we're going to be once again, more or less evenly matched because I'm getting inside the arming distance for my grenade launchers and we're getting into hand thrown grenade distance. But, what that doesn't show you unless you're really a pro and thinking about what you're bringing and and what the opponent is bringing is okay at this 50 let's say 100 to 400 meter range uh distance here i have a big asymmetric advantage in terms of what i'm bringing to the fight because i know my weapon systems i know how to employ them i know how to employ my unit and i can see that this opponent doesn't have it And, and that's the natural sort of progression in tactics right as you learn all these formations, all these patrolling, everything else. But then when you get in the fight, it's not just, you know, buddy rushing or, or maneuvering undercover. You have to be able to understand, okay, if I'm facing this force with this loadout, you know, maybe I don't want to close beyond a certain distance because I have an asymmetric advantage at certain ranges.
0: Right, yeah. And all this stuff is, like, awesome to hit on because I think there's, like, this huge... Uh thing that everybody does when you think of like other countries and it's almost like an arrogant thought too and it's like thinking that these countries are like they're not as good as us
1: yeah no and that's that's one of my things on my pay i wholeheartedly believe the u.s military is gonna kick the crap out of anyone that that steps up to the board with us we're gonna take casualties you know that's that's just a fact of war um as we've seen you know tragically even even uh, last month uh with the, the whole Kabul thing but yeah we're gonna kick the crap out of whoever we face but if you go into a fight you know overestimating your opponent and you walk in and you one punch knock him out and you're like oh shit that was easy okay that's a lot better outcome than going into the fight underestimating your opponent and he beats the shit out of you for three rounds and you win by decision at the end
0: yeah because these countries they are modern countries especially china china is a very modern country and they have uh all the things that they're doing with their military they're, they've been uh recently like put putting in a lot more money into their military haven't they
1: for sure yeah. yeah and there's a there's a big gap between you know our military spending uh but you also have to consider that Something absurd in in uh, in the DoD. Something like close to thirty percent of our ridiculous defense budget is just going to personnel pay and bonuses and and retirement and everything else. Uh, so the Chinese by just not paying their people as much, um, you know, the amount of funding going to their frontline troops uh, gets pretty comparable when you start to to really break the numbers down.
0: That's incredible. Is it is it the same kind of thing with Russia?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Russia, uh, Russia has a little bit of a head start on the Chinese in in terms of modernization. Um, especially because, uh, the Russians really lagged behind us sort of in the nineties and and early two thousands, obviously after the the collapse of the Soviet union. Uh, but the Russians have sort of been a modern military force since world war II. Uh, the Chinese really up until the nineties were, they had some more modern stuff here and there, especially tanks and aircraft, but their infantry forces up into the 90s were pretty much a uh, World War II force with uh, with AKs. So they, they've done a tremendous amount of modernization. There's a lot more institutional knowledge uh, baked in with the Russians and um, sort of a, a lot more experience that they can make better decisions from. But uh, another thing that I like to hit on on, on my page is, you know, it's not like, it, yeah, the U.S. has 20 years of, of combat experience in modern times, but it's not like back when, you know, like World War I, the Civil War, where you went to war and unless someone was, you know, physically present at the battlefield, they were not learning those lessons. So the the combat experience that we've gained is is awesome for our force, but you can go find anything you want about the U.S. military online, you know papers are most of our manuals just all sorts of stuff so yeah we have these you know 20 years of combat lessons paid in blood but we put that stuff on the internet and the chinese are reading it too and they're learning from it too and so that's something we got to consider in, in modern war that is is sort of different is uh that combat experience gap matters uh but it does not matter as much as it used to
0: yeah and russia definitely i've noticed um because everybody was talking about this when they first started coming out, they they have these new uh, tanks and these new personnel carriers. Um, I forget what they're named exactly, but I've never seen yeah. the pictures of them.
1: Yeah, it's it's called the uh, Armata series. I'm probably saying that wrong. Armada, maybe.
0: It might be Armada. Armada. That sounds familiar.
1: Yeah. yeah, the tank's the T14. I don't know what they have, the. Oh, uh, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, and were these specifically designed around, like, countering fucking, like, the Abrams, shit like that?
1: Um, yeah, more or less. I mean, I mean, so I'm not super big into, like, tank stuff. Um, obviously I know what a little... I grew up a massive, you know, military nerd. Um, which, you're gonna have some listeners that are gonna, you know, be able to deduce who I am if they're 360s. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> we forgot to mention that. Yeah, you were in Yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> But uh, I forgot what I said. Yeah, so the Russians have, have arguably been, you know, equal to or even forward of the U.S. when it comes to to tank designs, uh, you know, since World War II. Even, you know, think about like the pretty legendary like T-34s and and um, they had, you know, their, their T-72 is their most common tank, uh, which notably uh, the U.S. just absolutely stomped during their first Gulf War uh, when Iraq was operating them but uh as as we've kind of seen anyone that's been following warfare, the uh, the Saudis use the Abrams tank a, as well, and uh, the Saudis and their Abrams have been absolutely getting just dominated by random rebels in Yemen. So a lot of it, you know, like like everything, it, it can be the nicest rifle in the world. It comes down to to who's operating it. So um, yeah, their their modern tanks are, are sort of designed to counter the Abrams, but uh there's a fair argument that. The the T ninety, it's a it's sort of a different design philosophy, but there's a fair argument that the the T ninety tank was potentially superior to the Abrams already, because you got to remember the the Abrams was something designed uh, in the seventies, so it, it's been upgraded, but it's more or less, um, you know, a nineteen seventies design. It's more or less a peer to the T seventy two, which the Russians have replaced with the T eighty and the T ninety and now the T fourteen. So, huh.
0: Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know all that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I really feel like this is uh, something that you're probably going to be talking about here in the next couple of years too, especially like to the whole cyber warfare side of it nowadays.
1: Yeah, I don't, uh, unfortunately, I don't really know uh, a lot about the the cyber stuff. Uh, I try to keep my, uh, try to keep my stuff. um you know, as if anyone watches like gun channels on YouTube, uh, administrative results, I try to keep my stuff, you know, like big chimp energy, right. um, to, you know, down for the the caveman on the ground. So the cyber stuff, um, is sort of, you know, that stuff that, that's happening and obviously very important might decide the war. Uh, but in terms of the infantry dude on the ground, walking around in the snow or in the, the jungle rain, uh,
0: yeah, that's really more your God thing.
1: So, yeah. yeah. Same same thing on my page. You know, there's a whole lot of, like I kind of talked about earlier, there's a whole lot of like strategic high level, you know, like the president is like doing this to counter the Chinese president and, and blah, 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 all that sort of Ivy league, um, you know, PhD stuff it doesn't really matter. You know, you, you get put on an insert platform, whether it's a boat, a track or a helicopter, you get dropped off on the ride or you know in the briefing before someone is going to give you you know this is what we're doing when we get out of the vehicle and you get dropped off you get pointed in a direction and you start walking in that direction and you start shooting start moving start communicating start surviving in in that direction until you're told to consolidate and the war's over so that's how that's how infantry combat has been since the caveman days you know and and it's there's nothing so far that is going to change that yet so yeah, I try to keep absolutely
0: man absolutely and i think it's really cool because like right now um you know i mentioned this the last couple podcasts but like the marine corps is really really focusing on like modernizing and i think it's cool that we have like shit like this where now we have uh now we have podcasts and shit where dudes are talking about like important shit for like the average 11 to be like knowing and fucking, you know, just to be thinking about like, it's important that we're modernizing, uh, the force with, uh, intelligent dudes that are like paying attention to stuff that you post about. Cause that, all that shit matters, dude. It really does. Oh, um, for
1: sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I noticed too, we're talking about the, the, um, Russian tanks. Um, I'm sure you've been paying attention to the uh, conflict in uh, Armenia. Um that, that's yeah. a country, right? It's Armenia and what what other it's country? Armenia, Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan. Yeah, I don't even, I didn't even know how to attempt to pronounce that shit. But I yeah. noticed that um with all their T72s, they started putting these fuck I think you were the one that posted about it. They started putting these like um almost like fucking uh how do I fucking describe it? Um
1: it's called slat armor, like like cage. Yeah, the cage, yeah, armor. The cage yeah.
0: shit on top of it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that, that picture was actually uh, that's actually the Russians that are in the region as like peacekeepers and then to oh, protect Oh, so they implemented
0: that. in over into Russia. Yeah, but yeah, but they started doing that shit because apparently, um, they figured out that if they fucking could get a mortar round to smack the top of it, it would just fucking set off the ammo.
1: Yeah. So, and I mean, that's, that's, you know, our our 52s or our uh, sort of missile educated dudes know that that's how the, uh, the javelin uh, attacks. Well, that's one of the settings. The primary setting is, is the top attack. Uh, And then some of the newer tow missiles also uh, don't actually hit the target. They, they fly above it and explode. There's a, there's a pretty cool video on YouTube actually of a a top attack tow doing that to a T-72 with a combat load and just absolutely blowing it up. yeah, but those – so those – that slat armor, as I understand it, uh, being – I did, I did the small drone stuff with 3-6, with um, and then my last command before I eas uh, was a Navy command in Virginia, and I got to do a lot more uh, fancier drone stuff. So I, as I understand it, that, that slat armor is probably to defeat, uh, like, suicide drones.
0: Yeah, I was about uh, to mention so, that, because I know yeah. – I know it's probably a bigger thing uh, with drones than it is just fucking trying to point and shoot a a mortar.
1: So you could, yeah, you could defeat um, a mortar or an ATGM with flat armor like that, or you could at least mitigate the effects. Uh, The specific one that you're talking about, and and then if the listeners have seen the pictures, uh, is basically just rebar on on some mounts, which would not defeat... um, any sort of modern top attack atgm which the russians are smart enough to know uh they are they slap all sorts of armor on their tanks um so i think it's pretty clear just with that ao that that was a a sort of a counter drone thing
0: yeah and the the russians they're bigger they're a lot bigger on artillery right they are yeah
1: which is the when you really start to study the the militaries um is not necessarily uh, sort of, it's a it's a symptom of their circumstance and them realizing their circumstance. So the Russians, uh, like the U.S., are sort of ultimately equipped for the highest end threat. The, the U.S. military, while it can do all sorts of operations, from handing out water bottles in Haiti to uh, you know fighting a, a pure conflict, uh, ultimately we're equipped for that that pure conflict at the end of the day, right? Like the F-35 is useless when you got to go do hurricane relief in the in the Caribbean
0: right um, right
1: some would argue it's useless all the time but uh i kind of forgot what uh what your question was
0: actually um but, i'd asked uh about russian like uh how the russians use artillery oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah so the russians ultimately are equipped to fight not necessarily the u.s but nato so Obviously, any NATO fight with Russia is going to involve the U.S. But there, you know, Germany is a massive army right there by Russia that Russia, for very obvious historical reasons, is is wary of France, the U.K., uh, Poland now even in and, in and, uh, Ukraine, things like that. Yeah. So the Russians realize that any sort of big conflict, sorry, my dog just freaked out.
0: Nah, they're going to very
1: quickly they're going to very quickly lose air superiority. So while the Russians have more artillery than we do. Um, they don't necessarily have, sorry, awkward pause. Like yeah, package. you're
0: all good. You're all good. I'll just edit it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the Russians realize that for them to have fire support for their dudes, it pretty much has to be artillery. Whereas when the U.S. is factoring in fire support, we have all sorts of stuff from the air and, and everything else. So the Russia Russia's massive artillery force is more or less a symptom of them realizing it and planning for a fight with the U.S.,
0: yeah and i was gonna say another thing that um i'd heard about and i'm you know again i'm not too well versed on all this stuff but um i also heard that russia's air force is just like super outdated Um, yeah that's another big limiting factor for them
1: yeah um again i'm not super super knowledgeable on, on sort of the more advanced fighter stuff. i know that Generally, their stuff has a, a shorter range. Um, they don't have a, a whole ton of of a tanking capability like like we do. Uh, something absurd like one third of the entire U.S. Air Force is just tankers to to air to air refuel uh, the other aircraft, which is what you know enables us to have a, a sort of global reach. Russia is very much still; they're modernizing and, and they're modernizing quickly. But but Russia's armed force. Is very much still equipped to defend the homeland of Russia, uh, which involves a lot of railways and, and other things, uh, say against like China and Siberia, or to just push into Europe, Cold War style, or you know, repelling the German advance, march to Berlin style. So they're not super concerned with with sort of having to fight everywhere in the world, uh, which is a, a blessing from the military side of things, because you know, like when we're looking at something for, for the Marine Corps to adopt, it has to be something that we can go take inside the Arctic circle in Norway and use in the winter time to, to fight in the Arctic circle against the Russians has to be something that we can take to, you know, the, the sandy middle East with hundred degree weather and fight there. It has to be something that we can take to the South Pacific and, and fight in the jungles like it's Vietnam. So Russia has sort of the luxury of saying, "Hey, our stuff can have shorter range, and uh, only really be equipped to fight in this one region."
0: Yeah, more of a "come to us" kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, they definitely don't. Russia really learned their lesson with having a war on their home soil, so they they definitely don't want that. Uh, <laughs> but they're not gonna they're not gonna be coming to North America,
0: right? Yeah, uh,
1: or anywhere outside of you know continental europe or asia anytime soon
0: yeah and then kind of focus in on china because like we said like china's a lot more like up to date and shit on all this stuff and i'm sure you've been paying attention to shit going on in taiwan i'm just kind of wondering what do you think about all that
1: yeah i i think um so i like to i like to play a little trolling on the on the instagram as well (laughs) uh with with sort of memes and the story and everything else but uh I, I don't I don't think that a war will occur. I'll just say that up front. Uh, there's been a lot of times with a lot higher tension between between the US and China, um, and in, in between, you know, Taiwan and China uh, for for a long time. There's been active shooting between Taiwan and, and China for almost a week on end at one point, uh, that still didn't result in a war. So I the more sort of I don't want to say conspiratorial minded because I think there's a fair amount of evidence that this is maybe a realistic mindset, but there there is something to be said about the U S media in 2021 in sort of their ability to manipulate perceptions. That's not to say that there's not a lot of tension between Taiwan and, and China. There is, there's more than there has been, but I wouldn't necessarily buy into sensationalist journalism. You know, a lot of people would say they're trying to distract from something. Um, and, and other people would say that, you know, they're just it's a slow media cycle and they're trying to hype up whatever they can. Uh, you know, I think both of those statements are probably true enough to some extent. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be super worried about it. China is is very obviously our our big competitor um, going into the future. But you also have to consider uh, like the business side or the money side you know right because i was going to mention the
0: the yeah. economic side of all this because um because like the the chinese economy and the u.s economy are kind of tied pretty close together that's a pretty big part of our fucking economies
1: yeah it is uh which hasn't been i've been reading a lot of uh, really interesting um like historical stuff like world war one world war two recently uh, especially like the the free podcast uh, series, Hardcore History by Dan Carlin, uh, big recommendation. There has a, a I think five part series on the Pacific War um, that each episode is like four or five hours long, and it just gets into absolutely brutal detail of, oh, of the shit. Pacific War. I, I would recommend it uh, to to anyone. Uh, go look that up because he talks about you know taking gold teeth and and uh you know the japanese war crimes and stuff just in straight up you know objective yeah uh,
0: yeah
1: you know, it, it's really it's basically a free audiobook uh
0: but that's sick
1: yeah but um yeah the the money side but what i was going to say you know prior to uh world war II kicking off germany's biggest trading partner germany's biggest trading partner financially japan's biggest trading partner financially uh, prior to world war 2 uh, both of them, the top two, were the U.S. and the U.K. for for both of those countries. Um, and and sort of the thing, it goes back even to World War One. Uh, that's even more accentuated. Germany, something crazy, like sixty percent of their trade and uh, their entire economy was dependent on the U.K. and France prior to to World War One, and that didn't necessarily stop them. So historically, that has not been something, you know, that'll that'll stop them because a lot of economies are, are sort of consumerist things. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, I don't think like the U S made like, no, uh, like cars during world war II. Um, cause the car factories were completely converted to, to wartime production, uh, to the point that, you know, after world war II up until the fifties, uh, the cars that like Ford and, and GM and everyone else were releasing, were 30s designs. They didn't even have the designers to be designing new car designs. Um, so when you have these economies that are so tied in on, on trade with each other and everything else, a lot of that is important, obviously, to the nation's financial health, but a lot of it is consumerist stuff, um, right? Like if, if we go to war with, if, if we went to war with China, you know, the billions of dollars that we do every year to stock like Party City with confetti and, and cheap costumes, Not a factor like those factories are going to be making something else um, and things like that. So it is a big deterrent to war, probably a better deterrent to war than anything else. uh, But it is a deterrent that has failed uh, time and time again in the past because economies war is in in a lot of cases really good for uh, for economies, especially if your homeland isn't getting bombed all the time. You know that World War Two is was probably the biggest boost for the American economy uh, of all time
0: yeah and i'm sure you know like back during um world war one before the u.s even got involved in it we were selling weapons to both sides
1: yeah yeah no. i and you know that's a there's a model for that as well the uh the swiss do it forever uh the, the french kind of still do it to this day the french will sell weapons to anyone's anyone they can um even if it was like a nation that was going to fight france so jesus
0: christ <laughs>
1: yeah the the military industrial complex side um is a whole nother thing, you know, the, the, after the global war on terror ended, which, you know, arguably it's not over, but after Afghanistan ended, uh, was the first time in American history that the defense budget at the end of a war went up. So like after world war the defense budget plummeted after Korea plummeted, even during the, the, uh, you know, the cold war and everything else, uh, when we were building these sort of high end missiles and jets and everything else to, to counter the Russians, Every time we got out of a conflict, the defense budget went down because we didn't have to pay for an active conflict. Uh, and the, the defense budget this next fiscal year, I think I just saw, went up five percent, which is absurd. Like how do you how do you leave a war and your defense budget increases significantly, uh, yeah. which ours did? And and part of that is you know the services are constantly wanting more money uh, to buy things, and, and China is that sort of next convenience you know, thing. And and you can make the argument about, you know, like the military industrial complex just wanting to uh to make money, you know, selling aircraft carriers to the Navy uh, is worth a lot more money and a lot more profits than all of Afghanistan. I think I think Afghanistan costed as much as like one and a half aircraft carriers for the Navy.
0: Yeah, and I was gonna mention that too was uh talking about how recently um China started to have uh the world's largest navy. But I think isn't a large chunk of that like fishing boat like proxy that cuz they do this thing you you posted about it. Um they do this thing where they're almost like harassing people with like uh civilian ships.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Chinese are sort of masters of what is like technically called like gray zone competition. Yeah,
0: that's what it was. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I, I like to, and I likened it in my post more towards like schoolyard bullying or or just anything like establishing dominance over someone uh, without actually coming to blows. So you yeah. know, like shoulder checking someone while he walked past him at the bricks, or or just like not listening to them, things like that. So yeah, the Chinese do do something it's a uh, very much akin to sort of like old school, like letters of marquee, like pirates. Um, yeah, that's not, yeah. not sort of intense. Uh, but yeah, they do, they do on paper have a, a bigger Navy. Um, I think I was reading somewhere. There's, I don't know a whole ton about the Navy side. There's a lot of different ways to sort of measure how many ships are in a Navy. So like the U S Navy only counts like large surface combatants, Um, whereas, so like a destroyer or, or larger destroyers, amphibs, uh, carriers and cruisers and submarines, uh, the Chinese would count things for their world's largest Navy. They count things that, that the U S Navy doesn't count so things like, uh, large patrol boats, uh, and tugs and and things like that. So, um, the U S has the largest sort of combatant force and, and the best ability to project that power. But if we're talking about fighting a sea war, say, around Japan or or close to the, the Chinese homelands, uh, we would be bringing pretty similarly sized fleets, although the U.S. would be able to bring a lot more um, of the things that matter, so, like, submarines and, and aircraft carriers and aircraft.
0: Yeah, because I was going to mention that. Uh, before I do mention that, one part, um, Just going back to what you said uh A minute ago it's like it's they the chinese too with these uh like little proxy force they don't even uh they can deny shit too right like fucking they haven't even been uh taking credit they've been like oh yeah no they're acting on their own fucking shit like that when they're harassing people
1: yeah you know and and that's something that that everyone does uh the russians kind of do it a lot too with like the wagner group their mercenaries although that's far more combative uh than, than what the chinese will do um and, and the U.S. does it externally as well. It, it's sort of a widely accepted tactic. Uh, you don't see the American stuff ever covered in the American press uh, for obvious reasons because the, the people doing it uh, take big steps to, to not have it covered. Um, but yeah, the, the proxy force thing is, is huge. And the Chinese um, do it very uniquely uh, compared to other people. Like like I talked about the sort of schoolyard bullying thing like with their fishing boats like you brought up. Um, if they want to claim an area of land, they will just send these fishing boats out and pay them not to catch fish. You know, like, hey, how much money do you make catching fish per day? I'll pay you that per day to just go drive around and bump into, you know, Filipino fishermen or Vietnamese fishermen so that they can't fish. Um, so that eventually those fishermen just stop coming. And then China can be like, well, none of your people are here. We claim it. Same dispute with India. They'll deploy like a whole company. Of uh, PLA troops, but just without weapons, and then they'll just go meet the Indians like gangs of New York style and beat the shit out of each other with fists and rocks. Yeah, and recently stuff. that
0: so, that happened recently.
1: Yeah, yeah, know. and it's it's crazy, and they yeah. and they they try to keep it covered up. Um, and they're, they're able to, you know, it only works sort of when your opponent plays along, but no one wants to be the one to, to sort of escalate it to a full war. So right. they're able to send out their military forces and and do, you know, essentially war, um, by, by other means that don't always make the, the press. Cause the second they go out there and start shooting Indian troops, uh, then you potentially have world war three. But if they send their guys out there, you know, the Indians send out a hundred dudes, they send out 200 and they just go beat the shit out of each other uh, and the Chinese win, the Chinese have achieved their goal without starting a, a war. And they're much more willing to do that than in the U S.
0: Did they, did they let go? Cause I know both sides took about like a dozen prisoners each. Did they ever let go of each other? Like It was just kind of like, Oh, yeah. you give us our guys. We'll give you your guys.
1: No, I've, I've kind of looked into that. And I think the, uh, the sort of the running thing, they, they almost have like an unspoken understanding or sort of gentleman's agreement as to how things go. So they'll, They'll go have their big brawls. Uh, they'll capture, like, whatever prisoners, which are essentially just people that get, like, choked out or, like, knocked out. Um, it's almost like... It probably wasn't... It wasn't really... It was very, very little was it this way when I first hit 3-6. I don't think it was this way at all when you were there, but, uh, like, the old-school Marine Corps were, like... If one of Kilo's boots was around, like, the uh, the quad... And uh, you caught him like by the India smoke pit and you like choked him out and then like drug him over to like Kilo's side and just dropped him on the uh, on the grounds. So that's kind of how kind of how the, the Chinese and the Indians do it. They'll like knock a dude out or choke a dude out. They'll take their little propaganda pictures with him. And then at the, by the end of the day, he's back at his you know camp or whatever. There's not like high level negotiations. Like these are essentially company brawls where they're capturing each other's boots and then exchanging them at the end of the day
0: that's wild (laughs)
1: yeah we're just crazy because they take like
0: yeah they go all out dude they take like rocks and shit i don't know how many people died there's there's a there were deaths on both side both sides of this
1: yeah and like it i think it's greatly exaggerated by by social media you always see reports like oh my god like 20 chinese soldiers killed like 15 indian soldiers killed i'm sure there have been people that have died uh, but there's no way it's more than like a handful, right? Cause if the Chinese went and killed 20 Indians by smashing their heads in with rocks, uh, you would know, you would know beyond some random, like, you know, unverified Instagram account posting it, right? Like that would be, that'd be a big story covered across the world.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm looking it up now just cause I'm curious. Um, uh, do, do, do. And it's not really saying, Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go through a whole fucking article, but, um, yeah, dude, it's kind of crazy how they, uh, it's honestly, it's kind of funny too. They just fucking just go beat the shit out of each other and call it, call it good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe they're ahead of us, you know, maybe they haven't figured out if, if we could solve wars, you know, in the future by just going and sending out, you know, an entire division versus an entire division to go beat the shit out of each other uh you know and then everybody goes home or more or less everyone goes home at the end of the day with some bruises yeah uh, that's mine i was i was uh actually talking to some of my friends uh this morning I, I walked by so i go to i go to college right now and uh my school has a, a big memorial for all of our graduates uh that have died in in wars since world war one um my school didn't exist long before that, uh, and, and we didn't lose anyone. But uh, you go and uh, look at this this memorial, and and during the time of like World War II, my school was pretty small. Uh, where I go to school, we were graduating about a thousand people a year, um, so pretty small school, like like five thousand person student body uh, during World War II. And you go look at this memorial, and there was just plaque after plaque after plaque with names just from world war ii alone uh and I, I think i counted today it was 605 um which is like the entire male population of one and a half graduating classes from from my school uh killed yeah. during world war ii and that's that's the nature of like a true big war you know the 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 GWAT was was terrible and was definitely a, a war and a, a big fight for the people that were there but uh those uh, those casualties, you know, that we suffered in all of Iraq, all of Afghanistan, and the three thousand people killed uh, during nine eleven, um, add up to like a week and a half's worth of casualties during during World War Two for America alone.
0: Right, I so, was going to mention that.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about, uh, you know, the the massive casualties that we've suffered in, um, you know, twenty years. And counting nine, the the three thousand people of of nine eleven is is not an insignificant number. There's been less than three thousand killed uh, in in Afghanistan, and then uh, also in Iraq, and then I think I, I counted the Syria numbers as well. But the U S is was averaging you know hundreds of KIAs per day during during World War Two, right. just the U S alone and in just KIAs. So
0: right, I think in in uh, part uh, right. that number going down over the uh, years since then is definitely uh, in part due to uh, advancements in medicine and shit like tourniquets being fucking implemented, shit yeah. like that. Yeah, so. for sure.
1: Uh, but also, and I was talking to some people about this at one point. Uh, there's a lot of stuff nowadays that is very legitimately counted as a wound um, and, and counted in the wounded in action numbers and, and awarded a Purple Heart uh, that wasn't back then, you know, like, uh, TBI stuff, especially is huge. Uh, it's a huge issue. Um, and we've had a lot of people that have had it, uh, thousands that are counted in, in the number of wounded that we've had, um, in, in the number of purple hearts and stuff that was literally not a, like a, they were like, yeah, you got a concussion, like, or like you're shell shocked or something. When you look at world war II, like wounded numbers, Obviously, there's a lot of, of KIA's that potentially could have been saved with modern medicine, um, but there's also a lot of wounded in action that weren't even counted because, you know, nowadays you get any sort of little scratch from from enemy fire, uh, and you got a Purple Heart, you're getting counted in the numbers. And there was a lot of dudes during World War II, you know, that short of taking a bullet, uh, they they were not going to, to BAS or anything else. You took some shrapnel, you took some shrapnel, you kept moving
0: yeah man that's kind of crazy too um and i wanted to mention to you uh the whole thing with iran because you you mentioned uh tbis and i remember um back when that all went down when they were bombing bases in iraq which by the way i really thought like when that shit was happening i was sitting uh i was i was sitting at home because i was still uh i was still in my house at the time but um I was watching it on the news and like texting my buddies I was like yo we might actually uh we might actually be going to war. I'm like um cause that shit that was absolutely insane to me watching that happen on the news. And then um the next day you know they're talking like oh there's no casualties and shit but that wasn't necessarily true. There was about like what 30 40 people throughout all those bases that actually ended up with some pretty serious TBIs
1: yeah i think it was it was 34 36 it was uh like an even number in the 30s uh they they got awarded purple hearts i'm sure there's there's more you know there but yeah that was that was crazy that was um
0: that was what like 20
1: like yeah like four or five months after i got out uh something like that I i was thinking you know Hell yeah! Here we go again. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean,
0: I literally like I remember going to uh, the barracks the next day, and all of us, dude, were around the TV watching like Trump come out. And when um when he first came out, and all the generals walked out, at first I was like, okay, now they're starting to do like show of force type shit. I, I thought they were about. To, I yeah. thought Trump was about to come out and be like, yeah, Tehran doesn't exist anymore
1: yeah no. and that's i I read up about that a, a decent bit. it's It's actually very, very impressive uh, what the u s. did. Like we knew um when Iran would have like commercial satellites or or something uh, and and like drones. and like we knew where all the Iranian sort of like agents on the ground were. And we sort of predicted that an attack was imminent. Or, or we knew through through Intel. I'm not sure how yeah, they Yeah, I actually...
0: That. I don't know if you've heard this. I actually heard, like, a bit of a conspiracy theory where, um... Iran, um... Basically, they knew. They're like, okay, yeah, we can't fucking all-out go to war with each other because it's not going to fucking end well for either of us. But, um... They didn't want to let, uh Us fucking killing their generals slide. So, I've I heard that, uh, through their proxy forces they actually let, um... The U.S. know or they let they let certain individuals within the uh, the government know that this was coming, because if if you look at like uh, everything that happened, um, all these troops knew this shit was coming. This wasn't like a surprise attack, like dudes were in bunkers and shit like they knew this was coming and all these missile strikes conveniently landed like uh, not on important shit like fucking around the base. Bases. yeah so I,
1: I don't know yeah it, who knows uh, that could also be iran you know getting exposed yeah, on the intelligence side, <laughs> and, then, and then try to like cope but yeah the u.s was able to have several hours of advance warning to plan and then in sort of like the hour between like sundown and when the first missiles impacted we more or less like completely evacuated the base like all the aircraft gone most of the people gone they flew in uh, like an army company that was in somewhere else, like part of Baghdad, because they they were anticipating, you know, like, what if this turns like complex, right? Like, you hit us with missiles, and then and then troops roll in. Like, we don't want to trust the air force security force dudes, so let's fly in some, right. some uh, <laughs> paratroopers to to maybe help them out. But yeah, um, like by the time the missiles left the tubes in Iran, everyone on the base, which we knew like specifically the base that was targeted too um we're all either gone or in bunkers so yeah there is a fair they blew up some hangars um but yeah i don't even think they got any aircraft
0: so yeah yeah i heard there wasn't really anything like important kind of destroyed yeah yeah all that's yeah, that absolutely was, that was crazy
1: yeah that was i i can't um i can't imagine how that how that would have turned out you know and that, it's the same thing with any sort of potential conflict you know with uh, with China or or with Russia or or Iran or North Korea or who knows what else you know, it, you uh you never know. Nine eleven kind of really caught us off guard. Pearl Harbor, um, while we didn't really have warning for Pearl Harbor, like it was pretty obvious by uh by you know the summer of nineteen forty one that we were going to get sucked into the war somehow. You know, yeah. we we started uh, the U S. started up the draft. I think in late nineteen forty. and in some other significant things, like before the war started, like we knew we were going to get involved, so that was kind of a big shocker. But there definitely have been wars, you know, that the U.S. has been involved in that uh, nobody saw coming.
0: Right. Yeah. It's it's always uh it's always crazy how the future kind of plays out. And another crazy thing that happened too. um, This wasn't really recent. I think this was like a year ago. But when China what started coming out with their new jets and they looked uh, a lot like the F 35. And then, uh, started coming out that, uh, they actually got a hold of those documents from, um, what was it? What was that company called? Uh, uh,
1: I think Lockheed makes Yeah, the, lock. Yeah. The then,
0: I don't know if you heard about that. I looked into it much.
1: Yeah, no, I haven't. Um, I know enough about aircraft, uh, to, to sort of understand that, like, stealthy designs um like you look at like the cold war stealth stuff like the, the f-117 nighthawk uh, that we saw during like um the gulf war pretty significantly and, and then like the b2 the big stealth bomber like the flying wing um those designs are not they don't necessarily make great airplanes so when you look at like the f-35 uh, and the f-22 that have sort of this diamond shape to them um even if they came up with a design completely on their own, there's really like there's very few ways to make a stealthy fighter jet because fighter jets have to be able to to maneuver. You know, it's not like the big stealth bomber wing where you can make something that can just fly straight and level. You know, like the the jets have to be able to to fight each other, sort of in a, a dogfight or, or whatever, Top Gun style. So they they definitely spied on us, but at the same time, you know, there's only you know we talk about like hey there's like a million ways to skin the cat when it comes to to sort of that because it's a you know very physics limited engineering problem there's really only a few ways to do it so even if they do it completely on their own it's gonna look pretty fucking similar um but yeah they are uh they're kicking our ass uh spying wise in in a lot of those ways and and we talked about defense budgets earlier that's one of the ways that they save money how much how many uh, billions of dollars did the U.S. spend on the F-35 program?
0: Oh, I don't uh, know. It's a,
1: it's a fucking lot. Yeah, yeah a lot. And then the, the Chinese, you know, pay a handful of hackers and, uh, and some, probably some human sources on the ground, you know, a few million dollars in salary and computer and payoffs. And they get all the designs that we spent billions of dollars in, yeah. and decades developing. That's so, what's
0: insane is this whole, like, information war. It's a whole, like... Um... It's a whole new, um what the fuck do they call it? Spear of a uh, conflict, like cyber. So it's like air, yeah. land, sea, space, and now it's cyber too.
1: In cyberspace, yeah. Yeah. But I- information, you know, and I, I always try to hammer this on on the page to kind of get it in people's head. Uh, You know, war. The ways the the methods that we use to achieve goals have definitely changed and, and updated, uh, and tactics have have changed and updated, but sort of the end of the day, um, nothing has really changed, you know, like like the saying war never changes. Um spying, like cyber spying and jamming and hacking is is something that uh, you know, is definitely very new. But at the same time, um, you know, the US and and Britain uh decoding the the German Enigma code machine. During World War II and being able to read the Germans' codes uh, or the u s. decoding the the Japanese uh, codes during World War II, uh, even before Pearl Harbor, and being able to read the Japanese communications uh, is fundamentally the same as hacking someone's network and being able to see their their communications. so that that sort of espionage, intelligence, getting inside you know the enemy's decision making process through covert means uh is not really anything new so
0: yeah yeah it's definitely shit that like alters the course of wars though like i remember uh i remember watching fucking what movie was it it, it was about enigma it was the british movie
1: Oh uh, yeah the, you know what i don't about? know what you're...
0: yeah you know, you know what that. i'm talking about i don't remember the name I of it i haven't
1: seen it i know exactly what you're t- it has that um
0: that actor what was his name i fucking... think
1: his name's benedict cumberbatch isn't yeah that he yeah, is? yeah yeah him he's like yeah the, he's like the the gay dude that solves the enigma and then gets like thrown in like a prison for being gay yeah or something. Yeah,
0: yeah yeah yeah. but yeah. i remember uh during that war once they did figure war during that movie once they did figure that out they, they started talking about it, they're like yeah this is gonna save a lot of fucking lives yeah no and that's that i mean
1: that's fundamentally at the end of the day uh, you know, spying on technology is a little different because, you know, you couldn't, the Germans weren't transmitting, you know, like blueprints for their jet fighters over, over the Enigma, but, um, there was all sorts of, you know, spying going on as well. But yeah, that's fundamentally, it's the the same thing. It's like, I, I, I try to tell people, you know, um, warfare on the ground has changed, but if you get shot with, uh, in 27, and die you're still dead because someone shot you just the same as if you were you know a random roman soldier trying to fight off the mongol hordes and got shot in the tea box with a an arrow from a a, uh you know an ancient warrior you still got shot in the face and died
0: you know yeah all this shit yeah all this shit will still put holes in you I, i think it's like what they they uh when they first were in Iraq and Afghan, they they were finding like these fucking crazy old weapons that uh, they used to fight against the Russians that were still like around that they were using.
1: Oh yeah, no shit that um, shit that they would use to fight the like the British in the eighteen hundreds. Um, yeah. I don't know where all the I don't know where all the stuff is now, but at, at the because uh, I think I heard they they're renovating buildings and, and moved into to trailers and stuff, but at the at uh, the regimental CP there's all sorts of uh weapons and then at a, at h1 the the division cp on uh on camp lejeune which you need a you need a clearance and like a, a pass to get in but they have sort of a weapons museum collection over there and and stuff that was picked up just during the g and there's like muskets and, and things you can find pictures of of dudes holding like some shit out of pirates of the caribbean the that fuck? Got that's shot crazy at, they got shot at marines in like 2013 so
0: Holy shit. That is crazy. Another thing I wanted to um ask you about. Uh you watch this shit with the, the Russians in the US and Syria? Where they fucking they, they have these little like uh almost like uh what what the fuck was that movie called? Um It was like the fucking uh post-apocalyptic world. Um it was in the desert. What oh, the... Like Mad Max? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like Mad yeah. Max type shit.
1: Yeah. Um we actually have to. I think. I think we got to skip that question because I was. Uh, I was working somewhere where I, I. I don't. We can't talk about, or I can't talk about that really because I don't know what I can say.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, we can skip over that one. Just but, know. Yeah. Just know it was an interesting story. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Definitely, definitely go look up. Um, you know,
1: U.S. Russian battle. Whatever yeah. we, we, we I, kicked the shit
0: out of them. I heard a story one time from. Uh, from a fucking corpsman, and he basically was telling me about how uh, he heard it from a Sark who basically said they were just out in uh, Syria and they were doing a patrol. I don't remember if they were fucking SF dudes or just normal army guys, but they're were, they were in that area that the Russians were in, and um, they're patrolling and shit. And then all of a sudden, out of this like wadi that's like up in front of them, this like Russian dude just pops up. And everybody's just like, what the fuck? And then he's just like, uh, cigarette? And then they're just like, they're just like, oh, fuck yeah. And then they just like go over and they just start shooting the shit and fucking around. And they're like, uh, trading cigarettes and fucking food and shit. It's kind of yeah. funny.
1: Yeah. Some of the dudes, some of the dudes that went to to Syria have some pretty, pretty funny stories. Three Six kind of got the, the shit end of the deal, um, in terms of like the timing because there was a, the one four dudes that were there before them off the 11th mew, uh, just when like no one was there. And then three, six got there and they really were pretty restricted. And then, uh, the one, six dudes, uh, one, six, Charlie, I think that ripped with, with three, six, um, to go in and, and do the Syria mission, obviously along with, with already dudes. Uh, those guys got to travel like all around, like they got to like leave the fob, they oh, had like really? Toyota pickups and stuff. And,
0: yeah, I, I heard, heard like. Uh, yeah, I heard for the dudes that did go, that it was pretty like limited what they were able to do. Yeah,
1: with with three six, you know, outside of allegedly, you know, never been confirmed or denied, but outside of a uh, drunk driving on convoys uh, in country, there there wasn't really any interesting stories, um, because they were pretty restricted to sort of the Firebase. But yeah, some of the, some of the dudes before. Uh, with like I said, the the West Coast guys that went out there because they didn't have great sort of security, so they would just have people wandering up to the firebase and stuff. And then uh, the dudes after when things were a little more secure and they could they were allowed to travel a little bit more freely and do patrols, have some interesting stories as well.
0: Yeah, man, <laughs> that's 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 pretty crazy, dude. Um, I don't know
1: if you've heard that cat. So hopefully, some of your listeners have have heard. Yeah or know no that
0: story. It's a pretty um, legendary story. Um last thing I wanted to hit on with uh or I wanted to ask you about was the uh the shit that Iran uh been doing Iran has been doing out in the Mediterranean with their uh the Iranian guard taking over ships and shit and then fucking uh they shot down a US drone uh, a while ago. I don't know if you remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah, so they- so they haven't they haven't taken they have not boarded a ship um, in the Mediterranean specifically. They know that that would be. Wasn't it like serious. a
0: British or something? I don't know what they did. They did they something with the a, British.
1: A, they boarded a British-flagged vessel um, in the Persian Gulf, uh, which I think is like sort of like a minor technicality. Like the British still have a lot of um, like holdings. Like the the vessel that they boarded was like it was like a, a british virgin islands flagged vessel like it was some sort of like tax haven that's still like technically a, a british holding oh, um
0: so okay. they got the
1: the british treatment but yeah they they're uh constantly uh fucking around like like you said they shot down um
0: yeah they shot down was, a drone
1: I, yeah i don't know what the navy calls it uh but the, the air force calls them global hawks they're very expensive very advanced high high altitude and then high level um spying drones uh the navy has some as well and I'm, I'm sure it's called some like navalized version yeah, like or probably something.
0: something like that um,
1: they, yeah but they, like a, a multi-million dollar like like 20 30 million dollar like it wasn't a small drone
0: yeah very very uh, top secret too because i remember yeah, it wasn't even so much that they shot it down i think it's that they got a hold of it
1: yeah. So, and, and we've had periodically, you know, issues, uh, they've, they've been shooting down at, every time they can, uh, they've been shooting down, you know, American drones cause they know that they can get away with it re- without, uh, retaliation. Yeah. Uh, they can play it up on their press really big. And then, um, <clears throat> just the drone program as a whole, uh, because it's been very sloppy, uh, it's very unpopular in, in sort of the, the middle East world specifically in, in that whole region of the world. So, when Iran shoots down an american drone regardless of what it is they can say like oh hey like we shot down this drone um because we wanted to save like the people of pakistan or or the people of yemen or or whatever else so it iran is and i don't know off the top of my head like all the different denominations of of islam that creates all these fucking wars that they have but um, you know, they want to play that sort of popularity contest as well. So they're constantly right. trying to show out for their people, but also sort of the people of the region.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, oh, dude, I definitely got to get you on the podcast again. We can keep talking about this yeah, kind of stuff, sure, dude. dude. Yeah,
1: whenever. Yeah, whenever. yeah.
0: We're about, uh, we're about at our time though, man. And, um, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming onto the show and talking with me, man.
1: Yeah. Thanks, man. And I wanted to say, Thanks for what, uh, thanks for what you're doing, making a, making a page for three, six and just sort of gathering those, those stories, uh, and that history and just sort of the, the lifestyle and the culture. I firmly believe, you know, that when it comes to, to making the Marine Corps better, it's about that, you know, brotherhood. Uh, when I was in, uh, we had, you know, one of the best Marines, um, Ever. Probably like he he potentially could be, you know, I don't know how the careers work for for staff NCOs, but if I ever met someone that they could be the next Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, uh it was uh he's now a first sergeant, but Gunny Harkness uh was, was India's gunny um during the you know, whatever year, 24th Mew. Um but a super fucking awesome guy, and, and he always talked about it, always stuck with me how he hates he's like i hate the marine corps this is summarizing and i'm probably butchering it but he talked about how he, he hated the marine corps but he loved marines and, and marines are why he's stayed in as a, a career yeah. and uh, i firmly believe that like what you're doing uh maneuver up you know shout out another 360 um or guys like even goons up sort of started doing it he's a one six dude um formerly you know he's, he's i been out a long time but guys that are making you know the Marine Corps cool and, you know, you don't have to be some sort of whatever the fuck cool guy, you know, being a, a regular Marine is cool. And then, you know, take those, take, don't be making boot, TikToks, but take those fucking moto pics with your boys. You know, a, yeah, a, a lot of the dudes. Yeah. A lot of the two, one guys uh, that were killed uh, in Kabul, uh, you know, two months ago, a month and a half ago or whatever, go look at the only pictures they have of, of those dudes it's their boot camp photo or or moto pics in training. You know, you never know when you're going to lose one of your boys. You know, so take those pictures, share those pictures, and, and make the job cool. And I just want to say thank you to you for for making that. Uh, you know, sharing those stories and, and those pictures and, and making it cool because that's what's going to get the good guys to to enjoy their time and uh, you know potentially stay in the Marine Corps or make the Marine Corps better. And and uh, I, I truly do think it sounds boot as fuck. Uh, and I'm boot as fuck, but uh, I think that, you know, pages like yours are, are making the Marine Corps better. So thanks for what you do.
0: Hey, man, I appreciate it, dude. I, you know, I'm just a normal dude. I just, I, I started this page because I just wanted dudes to, you know, have something to laugh about during the day. Just a break from, you know, the the day-to-day that fucking compounds and gets dudes crazy stressed and losing their minds at times. But, yeah, man, I mean... Yeah, I, I try and do as much good as I can with this page, rather than uh, being a just a menace like I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, dude, being uh, a
1: being a menace is a being a menace is good too. I'm uh, constantly shitting on uh, like Army Special Forces and stuff specifically, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because we we constantly lose dudes, you know, dudes that want to stay in, uh, but they want to go do something else, so, you know, and they they see that National Guard SF, so trying to make that a less cool option
0: yeah yeah definitely man
1: yeah there's a that's such a, a fun aside for the for the three six listeners uh some of you guys will know this i'm not i'm not going to say anything too specific but if you know him you know i'm like there's a there's an officer or a former officer with uh one of the rifle companies that uh wanted to be sf so bad he became an enlisted dude uh <laughs> i think he got out you can do that. Uh, as a captain and then became a an e-5 sergeant in the army just to go to sf which he's he's doing very successfully but yeah we need to we need to do better as, as the marine corps in terms of retaining they, they really
0: they really only gave him e-5
1: <laughs> yeah i think i oh feel my like he to talk to him again i think he i think he gets he's he passed selection and is in like the the training course is is quite long because they got to do a language and then there's a a big backlog I guess but I think he gets uh he finally finishes training but yeah
0: oh shit that's cool though man that's yeah yeah but uh yeah again man it was great having you definitely gotta do this again sometime dude absolutely yeah man thanks for having me yep to uh everybody have a have a good night and to you man have a good night yourself Uh, we'll see you guys next time